This is a Timmet podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. The title of this episode is Cash Prize. Cash Prize. My name is Alex. I'm six and I live in Whitehorse with my mother Mara, my father Chuck, and my brother Quark. He's a dog. Our house is a bed and breakfast, the Walnut Crescent B&B. Jenny said at school that living at a B&B must be awful because there'd be strangers in the house all the time. Yes, there are strangers in the house quite often, but I think it's a good thing. I get to learn all sorts of different things from them. Where they come from, what they think of Yukon. Sometimes our B&B guests have adventures. Last summer, we had Mr. and Mrs. Kwok come to stay with us for a few days with their son, Andrew. Mr. and Mrs. Kwok's first names are Tarzan and Felicity. No, I'm not joking. Those are their real names. They're from Vancouver. Well, actually, they're from China originally. That's how they got their funny names. They have Chinese names, but their parents wanted to give them English names too and looked in English books for ideas. That's how Tarzan ended up with a sister named Jane. And Felicity is an old English word meaning happiness, I think. (laughs) Felicity is a fun name to say. The Quacks moved to Vancouver ten years ago. That was before they had Andrew. He's nine. He spends most of his time on the computer. The first morning the Quacks were at our B&B, we were all sitting at the breakfast table talking, except for Andrew, who was in the living room doing something on his laptop. I could see that the Quacks weren't completely comfortable with me being part of the conversation. Some grown-ups are like that. They think there are some conversations that kids just shouldn't be in, just, just because they're kids. I mean, there are times like that at Christmas where you might want to keep secrets, but it seems kind of strange not to talk about something with kids just because they're kids. In our family, we talk about everything, except for Christmas and birthday secrets. When Mrs. Alexander down the street went to Vegas with the firewood man and left her husband to look after the store by himself, we talked about it in our family. My dad explained how sometimes people follow their emotions rather than their heads, and that could either be a good thing or a bad thing. But it was up to Mrs. Alexander to figure out which. I felt kind of sorry for Mr. Alexander, though, and I was the only one at our school who knew anything about what had happened. All the rest of my friends, their parents wouldn't talk about it, saying it wasn't something the kids should know. Kind of dumb, if you ask me. Anyway, I sat with my mom and dad and Tarzan and Felicity, and we talked. We talked about Andrew, who was so busy with his computer that he didn't hear us. Or or at least he pretended he couldn't hear us. The Quacks were worried that Andrew was spending too much time on the internet and not enough time doing sports or talking with other kids. They had signed him up for soccer, basketball, pottery, creative dance, and painting. Andrew hated it all. Felicity also worried that Andrew was ignoring his Chinese background. She had tried to put him in Chinese classes, but he had refused to go, saying that he was Canadian and he didn't want anything to do with anything Chinese. He'd always complained when they had Chinese food at home and demanded they eat Canadian food instead. I could tell that that made Felicity and Tarzan unhappy. My parents made several suggestions, 
What about music lessons? Boy Scouts or Cubs? Chess? Volunteering at the food bank? None of these seemed to be good ideas. The Quacks had tried them or they knew it wouldn't work. Andrew liked computer games. Andrew sat in the living room, ignoring us. What about geocaching? I asked. The Quacks had never heard of geocaching. I explained it was like a treasure hunt. You use a GPS to navigate to the geocache that somebody had hidden. Andrew might like it, I suggested. You have to use a computer to look up the geocaches. And it would get him some exercise, outdoors, seeing new places. It's something you can do with friends, too. I geocached with my mum and dad, and we'd taken my friend Sylvia along to Atlan one weekend. I got out our GPS and explained the whole idea to Andrew. I got him to go to the geocache site using his computer. He typed in Whitehorse, and then we zeroed in on Porter Creek. I showed him that there were some geocaches in the woods, not far from our place. I transferred the Latin long, of the closest ones, to our GPS. Now all we have to do is go and find them, I said. <laughs> Andrew rolled his eyes, but he didn't say no. The Quacks made sure it was okay with my mum and dad to borrow me and the GPS to go out and try geocaching. Sure, that's fine, said my mum. Alex knows how to work the GPS, and she knows her way around the woods here. Tarzan was worried about bears. When he was a boy in China, he had read a book about a man in Canada who had to fight off a bear with an axe. Maybe we should take an axe, he suggested. My dad told him there probably wouldn't be any bears in the woods around Porter Creek this time of year and sent us out the door. I carried the GPS and the bear spray, just in case. I didn't tell the Kwok family that I had already done the geocaches near our house. They were the first ones we'd done as a family. I knew most of the paths, so we didn't have to do any bushwhacking. The first geocache was up on the top of a big rocky hill near Stinky Lake. Even though it was a bit longer, I led the quacks along the top of the steep cliff above the lake. It's very pretty up there, with the lake below and the city of Whitehorse behind us. We could almost see Fish Lake in the distance, and the windmills on top of Heckle Hill were turning. Felicity took pictures. I showed Andrew how the GPS gave the distance to the first geocache, with a little arrow to give us a direction. We followed the GPS indications right to the top of the hill. I knew where the geocache was, but I let the quacks do the looking. Andrew stood there with his hands in his pockets and scuffed his running shoes in the dust while his parents searched around. It was Felicity who found it at the base of the tree. She shouted and held up a plastic peanut butter jar with the lid screwed on tight. We crowded around, even Andrew, and Felicity opened the jar. The first thing that came out was the logbook that showed who had found the cache before. Someone from Germany had been there only the previous day. Look, said Andrew, running his finger down the list of names. Someone else from Vancouver was here last week. I used the pencil from the plastic jar and printed our family geocache name, Walnut BB, and the date, and From Whitehorse. Then I put, along with Tarzan, Felicity, and Andrew from Vancouver. I had to ask Felicity how to spell her name, and I think I might have spelled Vancouver wrong. 
There's a bunch of other things in the jar. Plastic animals, a four-color pen that didn't work, some stickers from Australia, a computer cable, and a miniature dictionary. Is there anything here you want? I asked. I'll take the computer cable, replied Andrew. Okay, I'll put in my whistle, I said. And in the logbook, by our names, I wrote, Left whistle, took cable. TFTC. What's TFTC? asked Andrew. Oh, that's geocache talk for thanks for the cash, I explained. We put everything back inside the plastic jar and screwed the lid on tight to keep out the rain. We then put it back exactly where Felicity had found it. We don't want the muggles to find it, I said. Muggles are non-geocachers who are just out for a walk. I then showed Andrew how to tell the GPS to go to the next geocache, which was over closer to the college. I took the quacks down the trail towards McIntyre Creek. On the way, I stopped to show them the secret spring with the water bubbling up into a little pool and then flowing down over the rocks. Just in case we wanted to find our way back here, I said, we could mark our position with the GPS. And I showed Andrew how to do it. I never knew that water came out of the ground like that, said Andrew. When we continued on our way, it was Andrew who was carrying the GPS. In fact, it was Andrew who led us right to the area of the next geocache. I only helped by suggesting which way to go on trails, so we didn't have to cut through the woods or cross the creek. Okay, okay, it's right around here somewhere, announced Andrew. We were in a clearing above the creek where there had once been a cabin. There were some fallen down log walls with some rusty barrels and equipment in the middle. I think it's a place where teenagers come to drink because there was an old broken kitchen chair beside the remains of a campfire and a pile of beer cans. It was Andrew who found the geocache hidden in an old wood stove. It was a plastic box with a watertight lid. Inside, with the usual logbook, was a throwaway camera. The instruction said to take our pictures by the geocache. Tarzan took a picture of Andrew and me holding the box. Andrew took some stickers and left a little thermometer that he had hanging on the zipper of his coat. TFTC, we wrote in the log. Look, the same people from Vancouver were here too, exclaimed Andrew. Do you think they came to Whitehorse just to go geocaching? We found eight geocaches that day and walked about 12 kilometers. At least that's what the GPS said. I don't think Andrew and his family were used to that much exercise. We got back to the house in the middle of the afternoon, hungry and thirsty. My mom had some lemonade for Andrew and me, but I think Felicity and Tarzan had beer. On Andrew's computer, we went to Google Earth and imported the track data from the GPS. Andrew and his family were quite amazed to find that they could see exactly where on the satellite image we had been. There's the point we marked for the secret spring, and there's the little bridge we crossed when we went across the creek, said Andrew, and it was right about there that we saw the fox. The quacks had never seen a fox before, and Tarzan had said that he should have brought the axe after all. The fox we saw had stepped out of the bushes on the trail ahead of us, looked at us carefully, and then disappeared into the bushes on the other side. I knew he was scared of us, and we didn't have anything to worry about. He looked just like foxes in books, exclaimed Felicity. We logged into the geocache site and marked down which geocaches we had visited. Look, said Andrew, there are a whole bunch more geocaches around Whitehorse. Let's go do them all. 
When my dad came home for supper, he glanced at the geocache map and suggested we go look for the ones out along Miles Canyon. He got out the Hikes and Bikes book, which told about how to get to Canyon City, complete with the GPS waypoints on the trail. Andrew and I programmed all the geocaches and the waypoints into the GPS. I overheard Felicity tell my mother later that evening that she had never seen Andrew so interested in anything before. I felt proud because the geocaching was my idea, and the quacks liked the fox. The next morning, I went off to Miles Canyon with the quack family. We made a first stop at the dollar store so the quacks could buy some things to put in geocaches. They got some nice plastic clothespins with magnets that would be good for sticking things on the fridge door. They also bought some little clip-on badges with animals on them. We stopped by the power dam in Riverdale because there was a geocache there on the hill above the fish ladder. I'd never seen the power dam before from that angle, and it was kind of interesting. Tarzan was an engineer and was fascinated by the dam and how it worked. He kept explaining it to us as he figured it out. Andrew had the GPS, and he led us right to the first geocache. He ran up the hill ahead of us and found it before the rest of us could catch up with him. Then we went further along the road and parked beside Schwatka Lake. That's what the Hikes and Bikes book suggested. There was another geocache near the parking lot. Andrew got a nice keychain out of that one in exchange for a magnetic clothespin. The keychain was round and had the name of some company on it, and he could open bottles. We walked along a little path through the woods that wasn't far from the lake. We found two more geocaches along the way. The logbooks told us that people from Austria, New Zealand, and Argentina had been there before us, and a lot more from much closer to home. Andrew thought that Austria was where the kangaroos lived. Even I knew that was Australia. When we got to Miles Canyon, Felicity was afraid that we would fall in. She made us stay well back from the edge, but we did go out on the bridge. The water was really green. A sign showed what it looked like when the gold rushers were going through on their boats and rafts. It was deeper then and much rougher. That must have been pretty scary. It took us a little while to find the geocache on the island not far from the bridge. The GPS said we were close and then farther away again. That made it really hard. Tarzan said it was probably because the radio waves from the satellites were bouncing off the rocks and confusing the GPS. Anyway, we finally found it and headed towards three more geocaches on the way to Canyon City. It was while we were looking for the last geocache that the big thing happened. The GPS said we were in about the right location. We were in the forest, not far from the trail. We were all looking around, under bushes, behind trees, under logs, even up in the branches of trees, because that's where geocaches are sometimes. What are these? asked Andrew suddenly. He was down on his hands and knees and was pointing at something in the dirt. The rest of us rushed over to take a look. We thought he'd found the geocache. But it was something else. It was actually three something else's. Andrew picked them up in his hand. They looked like money, but they had big square holes in the middle. There were four much smaller holes in each coin too, closer to the edges. They're both the size of a loony, but much dirtier and a lot older looking. Old and brown with some green rust. Felicity reached out and 
picked one of the coins carefully out of Andrew's hand. She brushed some dirt off it and turned it over several times, looking at both sides. They're old Chinese money, she said quietly. Really old, I think. She handed the coin to Tarzan and picked another out of Andrew's hand. Look, said Andrew, rubbing the one he still had in his hand to clean it off. He was excited. There's Chinese writing. What does it say? Tarzan squinted at the one in his hand, then held it up to the light at various angles to see better. I'm not too sure, he said. I think this one says how much it's worth. It's five-something, like five cents or five dollars. Five-something. Let's look around, I suggested. Maybe there's more. Even though we looked around for a long time, digging through the moss and dirt with our fingers, we didn't find anything. Even so, I took the GPS from Andrew and marked the location so we could find the exact spot again if we had to. Then we went out on the trail where the light was better and sat down on some rocks above the river to look at the coins more carefully. It looks like they were made with the big hole in them, I said, but it looks like the four smaller holes were put in later. On two of the big coins, the big square hole had a square border around it, but the four small holes were rougher and not the same size. On two of the coins, the big square hole had a square border around it, but the four small holes were rougher and not at all the same size. You're right, said Tarzan. Old Chinese coins always had a hole in the middle, so you could keep them on a string so you wouldn't lose them but I've never seen any old money with four other holes like these. Yes, it does look like someone drilled these holes after. The rest of the day wasn't nearly as exciting. We found all the geocaches and saw Canyon City with its piles of rusty tin cans in the woods. We kept our eyes on the ground everywhere we went, looking for more Chinese money, but we didn't find any. We showed the Chinese coins to my dad when he got home that night. He was quite excited and said he thought he knew where we could find out more about them. The next morning, he called from work, saying we had an appointment with somebody he knew in tourism and culture. Tarzan copied down the address and drove Felicity, Andrew, and me down to the place not far from the recycling center. My dad met us there and introduced us to a big man with a beard who is an archaeologist. I guess they call him that because he looks after old things like Noah's Ark and such. Anyway, he was really interested in the old coins. He looked at them really closely and opened up a couple of books he had and looked on his computer. It took about ten minutes before he spoke. I'm not so sure about these two, he said, but this one here is over 300 years old and was made in China during the time of... And there he gave the name of some Chinese guy. I forget who it was exactly. He figured the other two were maybe even older. But how do they get to Whitehorse? asked Andrew. I wanted to know the answer to that one, too. The archaeologist explained that Alaska used to belong to the Russians, who used to come and trade with the First Nations there. That was long before the gold rush. The Russians traded with the Chinese, too, and found that the First Nations really liked old Chinese coins. They put extra holes in them and sewed them on clothes, either as decorations for special occasions or for protection, like on suits of armor. The First Nations along the coast where the Russians were probably traded them to others further inland, like around Whitehorse. 
There was lots of trading going on before the white people came to Yukon. We've actually found three of these before, said the archaeologist. One near Beaver Creek, one near Carmack's, and one near Lac Labarge. But never three at once. This is quite a find. He wanted to know exactly where we had found the coins. The quacks tried to explain, but I interrupted and said that I had marked the spot with a GPS. The archaeologist said that that was a really smart thing to do. My dad put his arm around me and said I was really clever. I like being clever. The archaeologist explained that he would have to keep the coins because they were part of Yukon history, but we could take pictures and come and see them whenever we wanted. He arranged for us to spend some time with an old man named Billy down at the Quanlan Dunn Center in the same building as the library. Billy was an, an older, and he told us all sorts of stories about before the gold rush and how the First Nations traded with each other. That was really interesting for us all. Of course, Andrew and I got our picture in the paper holding the coins, and I guess there was something on TV too, but I didn't see it. The archaeologist called a week later to say they had gone to the exact location where we had found the coins. They'd done some digging and used a metal detector, but all they found were bits of metal from the gold rushers. No more Chinese money. Anyway, it was a great big adventure for us all. Andrew was bugging his dad to buy a GPS so they could go geocaching in Vancouver. I think Tarzan thought it was a good idea, but he didn't give in too easily. And Andrew got really interested in old Chinese coins because there was lots of information about that on the internet. He emailed me in the fall to tell me about a school project he did on the emperors of China and how they all had different money. So, you can see that living in a bed and breakfast isn't a bad thing after all. It can be the start of new adventures. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmet.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts. (laughs) 